And the rest of us will be uh, continuing in the Gospel of John this morning. Now, context uh, certainly matters in this one, because last week we saw Jesus heal a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. This is this amazing miracle. He heals this man, he gets up, and yet, what does he do? The healed man goes and tattles on Jesus to the religious leaders. That this man named Jesus healed him, and now they come to oppose Jesus for his miracle. So what are we doing today? Today we are seeing Jesus is defending himself for the accusations that they lay against him. And it's actually this, this wonderful opportunity that we get to hear Jesus explain his relationship to the Father and how utterly unique that relationship really is. So what are we looking for in this passage? We're looking at the, the subtleties and intricacy of the Trinity, how it can be that this one God is Father and also Son, one essence, two persons, and what that looks like. There we go. Uh, and so we're going to see Jesus, we're going to see uh, this unique person, but we're also going to see how he then invites us into that relationship. What does it look like to not just know him as the son, but to also become sons and enter into relationship with the father in the same way. So just uh, those three C's today, we're going to see the conflict, the conflict that Jesus has with these people, the connection with his father, and the call of Jesus. So Conflict, connection, call, and all these things are going to show that we are invited into the life that Christ has as the Son of the God, the divine second person, bringing us into life with the Father. So let's read John 5, verses 16 through 30 this morning. Talk about it. John 5, 16 through 30. Uh, We'll jump to 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal. God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also The Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to, etern- to resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own accord, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is a uh, complicated passage. This is a rich passage, so let's pray for help. (laughs) Father, we ask you uh, to illuminate the scriptures for us. Holy Spirit, would you speak your scriptures, breathed out by you into our hearts, that we may comprehend the things here, not just comprehend them intellectually, but comprehend them uh, to the glory of your name the glory of your Son, and to our participation in this great fellowship, we pray in Christ's name. All right, so first we begin with the conflict here. Verse 16, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. All right, so we already saw a little bit of the problem last week. Uh, Jesus had told the paralyzed man to get up take his mat and walk. Now, there was the fourth commandment, which says that you shall do no work on this last day of the week, the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments, but in addition to all the, to the Ten Commandments, the, the simple commandment, uh, the religious leaders had created hundreds of clarifying and secondary rules about what you can do that would violate this. What does work really look like? One of them was carrying stuff on the Sabbath. So uh, in that sense, Jesus had commanded this man to work. And there's some Sabbath issue there. But what is this saying? This is saying that Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath. It's not that, actually. What is it? It's that Jesus is doing work on the Sabbath because he is Working miracles on the Sabbath. If anyone's doing work, it's someone doing working miracles. Now imagine, imagine the the kind of person who would see someone work a miracle of raising someone from paralysis after 38 years and saying, how dare you break the Sabbath? All right, these guys are hardcore. Um, And... So they they don't rejoice, they don't praise him, they don't ask, "Whoa, how did you do that? Who are you?" They ask. They they decide he is a lawbreaker, and they begin to persecute him. All right. Now, Jesus, he knows this is the relationship that's happening, and in a lot of places he talks about Sabbath laws. Sometimes he talks about how all those secondary laws are kind of dumb and made up and he, they're not founded on anything. In other places, he, he talks about how Scripture kind of actively contradicts those Scriptures, and so they can't possibly be true. And so he kind of just undermines all of their assumptions. All right, he does something very different here. Instead, he doubles down 
on working on the Sabbath and says, My father is working until now, and I am working. All right, what is the defense here? Well, just so you understand, the, the common understanding of the day is that, yeah, God rested on the, sixth, on the seventh day of creation, not last day. Sort of. Because God could not take a Sabbath once a week because he has important work to be done, like holding the universe together. And the, the reality, like everyone was thinking about it, and everyone comes to the conclusion, yeah, he can't really rest from his work or else everything would just implode and collapse. So he has to be doing work, yet he's not breaking the Sabbath. And they kind of like, and then, then comes the debate, like, okay, how does he do that? How does he work without breaking the Sabbath? Uh, there are some, some, a couple ways of getting around that. Um, some people were like, well, God is omnipotent. And so he's not working very hard. Okay, like, like, yeah, you work to like breathe on the Sabbath. That's not work. Like, so God isn't, isn't doing that much work. So maybe he doesn't break the Sabbath in that sense. Uh, some other people were like, well, technically, he fills all of creation and he's everywhere. So like, he's not really like getting up to do work. He's like not even leaving his living room kind of thing. So, like, he can't really, he's, like, not going to work, and this is just what he does. And so, basically, they come to the conclusion that, well, the category is different for God. He can't break the Sabbath, even though he works, and that's okay. And so, Jesus comes in and says, you know what? The same way that the Father keeps on working, I work on the Sabbath. That the things that are utterly unique to God... Those criteria, yeah, those apply to me too. Right? That does not go over very well. All right, this is, this is like bumping into someone, and they say, like, why did you bump into me? And you pull out their cell phone, and are like, oh, I was pickpocketing you. <laughs> Great explanation. All right, it, it makes, he makes it far, far worse. Far worse than the crime he was being accused of. And so, verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All right, so notice he has called God father before, but it's kind of in like a our father kind of sense. And everyone's like, yeah, he's kind of our father. Um, this is different. No, he's saying, I am categorically in the same level as God the Father, and I am the Son, and the things that apply to God apply to me. All right. This is like saying, a murderer saying, yeah, well, God takes life all the time. So, you know, I can kill people too. I'm just being like God, so why, why, does he, why is it bad? Do we see like the, if someone said that after murdering someone, we would say that's horrible, blasphemous, terrible. Uh, it sounds to them like Jesus is spitting in the face of monotheism, that he is a God equal with the one true God, that he a man, saying that he is God, and he's in a load of trouble for it. So, that's where we're at. 
And Jesus, now understanding that that's how all of this was received, he now has to well, gets to explain his remarkably unique relationship to the Father as the Son of God, without breaking monotheism, without blaspheming, without sinning. And that's what we get here. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Right? Some interpreters, they're like, yeah, this is just the relationship between a son and a father. They're like an apprenticeship relationship that, that sons see what the father do, does, and, and he does them too. All right, look at this. Look at what it says. Really, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. All right, fathers, would you say that this is generally how it works to having kids? No, no. They can do nothing of their own accord, but they only do what the Father is doing. All right, that's not a normal relationship. No kids are like that. That's not just, oh, that's the fatherhood and sonship. No, it's not. And it's not just saying that they, they don't, like, oh, I just have a like, perfectly obedient child. It's like, no. I, he can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus is saying that as, as I relate to the Father, I, I perfectly imitate him. And I perfectly reflect all that he does such that I never act independently. I never act out of my own accord. You know, we are always perfectly in sync. And that if I see the Father do it, I do exactly the same thing. Never going my own way. Now, what do we see here? We see Jesus the Son as the perfect image of the Father. This perfect one-to-one -one reflection of one another. And that Jesus, in perfect, humble submission, sees and does, sees and does, sees and does, and cannot do otherwise. How different from we who are called image-bearers who are supposed to do that very same thing. We're supposed to image the Father. And yet, what are we? We are broken images. We have turned away, and we do not reflect the Father anymore. And instead, we have rebelled, we have sinned, we have invented our own ways of being creative and evil. God would say even like, I, I, have, I would never have even thought of that one. That's the extent of the rebellion of the people. And then we have Jesus who, who does nothing, absolutely nothing different. So much so that we would say he cannot sin. He cannot rebel. He cannot go his own way. That is the, the tightness, the relationship between father and son. Now there's big theological things that we talk about, and it's like it comes from real scriptures, and it's things like this. Like, we talk about the fact that God only has one divine will, right? So there's one God, one essence, and three persons, but there's only one divine will. Only one 
decision ever made that is shared between the three persons and never broken. This is what this is where it comes from, is it saying like Jesus in his divine will there was one with his father's divine will. Now we can say, okay, that's interesting, but thank God that the Son is in perfect submission to the Father. That he brings that divine, perfect submission into humanity in his incarnation. And that he has a human will and a divine will, and that divine will, it wins. And that every moment, he was in submission to his Father so that he could give that perfect obedience and perfect submission to us, his people. That is the beauty of this picture. That is the beauty of this doctrine. That in that perfect submission, he is making a humanity that is perfect in following the will of the Father. And as a reminder, he probably didn't sin when he was working on the Sabbath. He was executing God's will. Right? Now, he then builds on this, and it keeps, it keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper, okay? Which makes it hard. Stick with me. All right. So then he goes on and says, okay, how is it that I perfectly do what the Father does? Because the Father perfectly reveals all that he's doing. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. All right, a couple things here. First, why does Jesus only do what, his father, what he sees his father doing? Because the father loves him. The father loves the son. And as Jesus kind of basks in the love of the father, he cannot but reflect that love in obedience back. He loves the Father, so he imitates him and does exactly what he does. It is all sourced in love. And in that love and this connection and this unity, there's no boundaries, there's no secrets, there's no hidden agendas. The Father perfectly discloses all of his will to his Son, that his Son may do it. So much so that Jesus becomes an instrument the hands of the Father, that God's will is executed through the Son, and that that has been the case for all of eternity, and Jesus is revealing it right here. He reveals his will to his Son, and the Son perfectly carries it out again and again and again. We saw that, that kind of most clearly in, in creation. We have the picture that, like, God the Father speaks but what does he speak? He speaks the Word, who is the eternal person, Jesus, the Son, who is the means by which all things are created. There's always this interplay. And so we say, like, who are you to criticize the actions of the Son? The Son is the manifestation of the will of the Father. Yes, he's doing, he's doing the right thing. He's doing what his father does and has revealed to him. 
Now, an implication of that is that every time you see Jesus, you are seeing the will of the Father. You are seeing the heart of the Father. Throughout Scripture, we're actually told that the, the Son is, the, is like the light that shines that we may see the glory of the Father. That it pierces through our blindness that we may see his glory on the face of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. Now, thankfully, and, and it's not just that he does miracles, he does far something, far greater works that you may marvel, and he goes on to talk about that. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, this is one work that you wouldn't expect for God to give to another, but such is the relationship that the greatest of works, the resurrection from the dead, yeah, Jesus does that one too. Which would have been strange because he talks about it in the present tense. Most people are like, yeah, God will do that. He will resurrect from the dead. He will give life. And yet here is Jesus saying, no, it, it happens now. And I am giving life. That's what you're supposed to get out of all the things that I'm teaching. That's what you're supposed to get out of this miracle. Like, oh, he was, he was dead and getting life. That the woman at the well was, was dead and she was dying of thirst. He's giving her living water. That Nicodemus, he was, was dead in darkness and transgression. He had to be reborn alive this time. But Jesus is doing that work in redemption. And we are dead in our transgression. We are dead in our sin. We're not just going to be dead. We are dead right now left without grace and mercy of God and Jesus. And thankfully, God gives life through Son. Now, it goes even further. One layer deeper, and he says, explaining, how, why does the Son give life? For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He is not coming to judgment, but is passed from death to life. Who is judge? Son. The Father judges through appointing the Son, Jesus Christ, as judge. Now, once again, this is not this is not what the people expected. They might think, you know, the father's judge, and he's he executes that judgment through the law or through the word. Or he tests people whether or not they believe in God or not. And Jesus is revealing a second layer that is crucial. No, it's not first. Do you believe in God the Father? The question is, do you believe in Jesus as the Son? 
and not, do you honor God? This kind of vague generality. No, do you honor Jesus, the Son? Not, do you generally listen to God? No, do you, gen- do you listen to the words of Jesus, who is the word of life? Most people will say that they believe in God or try to do good, try to live well. Bigger than that. You listen to Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You honor Jesus. Now, The question then becomes, okay, what, what are you doing with Jesus? Each day, what are you doing with Jesus? Are you expressing this submission to Jesus, this love for Jesus, this recognition of his lordship? Are you honoring him? You will be judged based upon your reception of Jesus. What are you doing with him? Right. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, I've already received Jesus. I get this. Uh, all right. And for those people, does Jesus have the proper focus of your life? Now, as I, well, as I go to the gym, people inevitably find out I'm a pastor. And I dread it. Not because I don't want to be known as a pastor, but because the second I say I'm a pastor, I dread, I dread encountering the, the Christians. Because what do they then say? They start talking about the recent ghosts they've seen. Or an encounter with a demon. Or the political situation and how that has implications for the second coming. Or they talk about how politics really needs to be reformed such that the Ten Commandments are in every school. Or the like, that God sovereignly ordained everything and everyone who doesn't believe that is going to hell. All right. What they do not say is, oh, you love Jesus too? No one says that. Like, no, no one talks about Jesus. No one likes like, oh, oh like, yeah, aren't you glad Jesus came? They don't do that. And it is brutally frustrating and discouraging. That it's like, oh, I, I have less in common with you than before I said this. All right, like, the, the, the focus is Jesus. Let us keep the focus on him. Let us recognize that, like, oh, like, as Dan prayed, like, there's a, there's a king, and he's, he's in charge, and... Shouldn't be freaking out. We should be receiving him as king. He's, he's still on the throne. All of these things. All right. Soapbox off. All right. What are you doing with Jesus? That's the point. All right. And now he's going to toe on and say, okay, what does it look like to receive the son? What does it look like? It means listening to his call. He's calling people out of his great connection to the Father life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, 
and those who hear will live. So we kind of foretasted a little bit that like, hey, maybe there's more to these miracles than we realize, and now he's making it very clear that an hour is coming and is now here. This is Jesus' way of saying, all that like future stuff that was building toward, like, it's now. Now, today is the day of salvation. Now is the day you will hear and hear unto eternal life or hear unto judgment. Today is the day for you to hear who Jesus is and receive him. There's no more time left. Don't wait until the final day. You have to make a decision now that will have implications for the future. That is how it works. When Jesus cries out, repent and believe, and he hangs on the cross for the sins of the world, and he resurrects from the dead, he says he's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, and he offers living water, and he offers rebirth. All of these things, these are, these are the now gift of eternal life that would become the basis of judgment later, the dividing of the goats and the sheep. So we hear it. We hear the Son of God. And remember, this is the guy who just, res- he just made someone paralyzed and get up and walk. And who's doing actively, doing miracles. There's something to this guy. He's explaining why he's so unique. This isn't just some goofball saying, yeah, I I think I'm God. Now, was I? Hmm. All right. Now, he keeps talking. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted the Son also to have life in himself. So what's he saying? This is just like, yeah, I am the word of life. All things come to life through me. I have life contained in myself. If you want life, you need to connect to me. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. All right, this is new. This is new and, and special and important. So far, we've been talking about the Son of God. And he's been talking about his relationship as eternal second person Son of God. But now he's saying, oh, and I'm given judgment because I'm also the Son of Man. Which is complicated. Everything's complicated today. Sorry. The Son of Man, it's, it's, it's a couple of different things. First, it's this crazy divine title that makes him worthy of, of being judged because he's king and ruler of the eternal kingdom of God, Daniel seven thirteen. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days, Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every nation, every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. 
And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The lordship of the Son of Man who comes to be king and reign and and rule over the, the final kingdom. And so it's both this divine title, but what is it also? This one that's kind of, what is the son of man? My kids are sons of man. You are a son of man. He's also, he's also just a human. And that's where there's this beautiful connection where Jesus is so far away as the son of God. Perfect submission, perfect unity. The single divine will. And yet, what does he do? He comes down and unites that with humanity, become the Son of Man. That he would become humanity's source of new obedience, humanity's source of righteousness and holiness. That he become the image of man, the image of God. That we who are united to Jesus might become this new humanity. That we might be restored to the image of God. That we might be adopted as sons and daughters. And he's saying, that that is why you are given judgment, because only you can be the true judge that can actually give people mercy and grace. That when you judge those united to you, they are not destroyed, but they live in the perfection that you have earned out of your divine sonship. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear its voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this seems odd because... Wait, I thought we said it all had to do with Jesus. How is it now good and bad? Those who do good to judgment, those who do evil, or sorry, to, to resurrection life, those who do evil to judgment. How? Whoops. All right. That's sort of, that we have to, we have to get the whole picture of that. Okay, so we saw Father, Son, us. All right, and now it starts to work backwards. Is that our union with Jesus then starts to rub off on us. And we turn back and start reflecting Jesus. We start gazing upon him and seeing the glory of the Son and the love of the Son. And we start to see the things that he does and love the things that he does and we start to do them. And then that translates back up that now we are like the sun and looking like the sun. And in looking like the sun, we now look like the Father. 
and the image is restored. This beautiful relationship with the Father as the images of God has been renewed. And as we honor the Son, we honor the Father. As we obey the Son, we obey the Father. As we do the things Jesus does, we are doing the will of the Father. And we become these people who actually do good. Out of love and honor for the Son and then the Father of our transformation. Such that we could stand on the day of judgment and say, well, actually, yeah, I, I have looked like the Son. I have looked like the Father. I have gazed upon his beauty. I have loved him. I have been transformed into his image. May we then face judgment without fear, knowing the work that Jesus has done, having beheld glory on his face, being reconciled to the Father through him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that we can come to you, our Father, through the Son. Father, how presumptuous it would be to come without his blood covering our sins without his, our hearts being renewed by the Holy Spirit, without our eyes being opened from our blindness. Father, we ask that you would help us to behold the face of Jesus Christ, that we would see his glory, that we would know him and, and honor him and obey him and love him. Not so that we could have salvation, but because of the salvation we have found in him, we have beheld the love and goodness of your Son. Father, would we be transformed that we would glorify you? Would you be exalted, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.